Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 211th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Merlin Camozzi, Jesse Mendelson, and Matt Mahoney. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Hey, thanks for signing up for our Patreon, guys. You're nice. Anyway, today we're talking to our old friends Liz Manifshell and Ulrich Purcell of the Making Movies is Hard podcast. Ulrich has just recently wrapped his very first feature, the one he's been talking about for a couple years now. And we were all texting together and we thought, well, why don't all of us pals just hop on the on the mic together and talk through specifically the relationship that directors have with their cinematographers. I will happily take the credit for the fact that Alric, when he started making his movie, I texted him and said, you know, you have this podcast. It's very popular. You have all these people that have been literally tracking your progress to getting this film made for four years, maybe. And it would seem like the right thing to do at this point is to record your experience as it's going. Now, everyone knows that while you're directing an independent film, it's quite hard to also shoot your own behind the scenes. So I suggested just in his car at the end of every shoot day, he record a voice audio memo about how what his experience was like. And he did it, and then he just uploaded them. And it seemed like they were very unedited. Most of the sound was of his car door backing up beeps and various drive-throughs he's going through. You could always tell when he was making a turn. <laughs> yeah, the turn signal. But I thought they were so good. They're just really a firsthand view into the psyche of a filmmaker as they're making their feature film and the cops are coming being they're being shut down they're not making their days things are going haywire art isn't working cinematography is not working makeup's not working permits aren't working but also everything is working and it's really fun so we get to hear all of this and one of the things that as filmmakers we are constantly struggling with on independent films where you clearly don't have enough money to make the movie and you clearly don't have enough time to make the movie and it's intensely personal this is your baby right like you have pulled this thing together in a way that isn't the same on a commercial like you want a commercial to be good you want your web series to be good but like you've invested so much time so much energy so much love you've gotten your friends and family to donate time or money there's a ton of sacrifice and personal stakes beyond it just just wanting to make a good movie yeah making your first feature is probably the most stressful thing 
there can be because you are literally spending a ton of money that everyone is telling you will never make any money back and you are hoping it will launch your career even though the odds tend to be against that. So it's stressful in every way possible. But what comes out of that stress, I think, and what we saw through Ulrich's daily recordings was that at the end of the shoot day, you're trying to figure out and analyze what went wrong. Like, what did we do wrong so we can fix it tomorrow? Was it that we overlit? Was it that we rehearsed too much? Was it that we didn't rehearse enough? Was it that we have too many visual effects shots or too many stunts? And how can we fix this going forward? And when Matt and I were listening to these logs of his days, I think that we were sensing tension between him and various crew members, and we wanted to talk to him in person to get the real scoop and to talk about how we've had the same experiences and talk about various strategies of how you get over the stress and the mm-hmm. tense relationships on set to actually finish your movie. Yeah, I mean, I got, like, I think because Alric and I were shooting basically simultaneously. So my wife had was directing a movie that I was producing. And so I think that I, on an emotional level was really in tune and defensive and like a little unhinged (laughs) because of all of my own experiences and then getting defensive of like wanting Ulrich to be protected or to wanting things to go really well for him. And I feel like I um, went a little crazy. Uh, I am a little disappointed that you didn't record any, audio logs or anything when you were producing this movie and i think that we really should do that next time i have a multi-day production i'm gonna try to do that because it's really easy for us to jump on the mic with Ulrich and like poke holes and everything he said oh my god yeah yeah literally everything i was talking about i was just talking about myself for sure right but you know it's like what i would have done or what i wish i had done or you know Exactly. Um, it seems things. only fair to put ourselves back in that vulnerable position where, where we are talking about our successes and our failures out in the open in real time and then having Ulrich tell us uh, yeah. what we did I don't did know, Enlo. It seems like you really fucked up this time, man. Yeah, except he would never say that. He's really he bad wouldn't. at insulting people. He wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Before we talk to Ulrich and Liz, I do want to give a quick disclaimer which is that you'll notice that Liz is very present in the beginning of the discussion and at the end of the discussion and not in the middle of the discussion. And that is because she had to leave to take care of her child and also do a lot of other things <laughs> before she came back. So uh, it's not that Liz was not interested in the sub- subject matter or that she was edited out. She was just gone in the middle. So now you know. One last thing we want to remind everyone, since we are all in quarantine and we are all trying to figure out what the heck we're supposed to do with our time as filmmakers and creative people and some of us are parents or roommates or whatever, we would really love to hear what you are doing. We're doing an entire episode where we're interviewing all sorts of directors, past guests we've had, new directors we're meeting, and our listeners because we want to hear what the different versions of directing while in quarantine look like. Are you making your own short 
Are you in post on a project? Are you writing something new? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Or are you paralyzed with fear and like can't get out of bed? Uh, that's a good answer too. Yeah. Uh, also a good answer is like pulling pranks on your family and putting it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be really good. Or just filling the hours with a podcast because you don't know what else to do with your time. <laughs> yeah, there is that's a, a backlog. Time. 210 episodes of Just Shoot It that you just need to listen to. Uh, so if you want to let us know what you're doing, please, please, please call us at 2626-SHOOT-1. Leave us a voicemail. We'll air our favorites. We've already got a couple of really great ones. Um, and is I, I always talk about how much I love those voicemails, but it's a really fascinating view into your lives. And I think that the power of this show is in reminding people that our dreams and workflows and every and anxiety and you know success and failures are all similar to one another and hearing from you the listeners on voicemail is just an additional window and another way to help your fellow filmmakers see uh what see what it's like to be a filmmaker and and relate to each other it's really genuinely valuable exactly so write it down one two six two shoot one one two six two shoot one operators are standing by Okay, without further delays, here are Ulrich and Liz. So this all started because Matt said something to me this morning in text message that um, I wanted to discuss more. Um, basically, you were like, what, I-, I hate my DP? Was that how you phrased it? What, uh, what it? I, I, so I said <laughs> that you obviously hate your DP. Right. Um, and this is based off of, you know, uh, for Just Shoot It listeners, just in case they're not 100% up to date on all of their making movies is hard. Ulrich, you did a great job of chronicling your first feature, The Alternate, which you just wrapped not that long ago. You did these like video or audio logs, basically, yeah. uh, you know, um, chronicling all of the challenges of making a first feature. And I, as listening while I'm doing the dishes, because we, you know, are cooking like maniacs and cooped up i thought to myself i wonder if Ulrich knows how much he hates his dp because you're so positive that's funny and uh, uh <laughs> and he clearly fucking hates that guy but won't admit it to himself that that's that was my inner monologue now obviously i'm being colorful um but i think we've probably all been in situations where we have been you know, there's like a little bit of like, uh, it's a tricky relationship, I guess is what I'm saying. And where, where we've all been in the position where we have to ask a DP who has very high standards, which is why you hire them, right. um, to compromise due to schedule or timing or whatever. Right. And I think like, as you would hear in the logs and probably why you felt the way that you did listening to it is that like, I... Yeah, that was I was just this cha- that was just a challenge every day. It was like I I wanted to get like this scene shot in a certain way in a certain amount of time, and then just every day, like no matter how much planning we would do the day before, and like how we would have this really like you know agreed upon shot list that we thought we could ca- like get done in a certain amount of time, like we rarely would achieve that goal. Like we like every day we would either like have to cut shots or even push a scene to the next day or cut a scene. Like we probably cut like 10 to 12 scenes in the movie or something. Um, and yeah, it's just because we didn't have enough time because things just took too long, you know? Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, like, like, again, I'm being colorful for the uh, entertainment of the listeners at home. Obviously like you're a nice person. That DP is a nice person. We all work with nice people. Um, the thought of having to cut so many scenes because look, schedules are hard, but like, uh, 
having to cut so many scenes because it feels like maybe you're being too meticulous with your lighting makes too precious too precious makes me makes me genuinely nauseous i got a little like when you said 12 (laughs) 12 well and we added four days to the production because we couldn't get it done in time you know like we originally we knew we were going to add one day like during the the pre like the whatever scout or pre-production meeting and then we added three more and uh and that was all kind of within the well two of them were within the first week and then the last one was the very last day as if you listen to the logs you'd know but uh but yeah, we added, it was like $10,000 extra dollars of budget that we had to put into this movie. And it's not, I don't want to say, it's not all to camera's fault. Like, you know, this is like kind of a group thing. But I mean, I think a large part of it was the lighting schemes and the camera, you know, shot design was very elaborate, you know, and that's a large part of it. Wait, so Oren, Matt, can we convene, like, is our group goal to get him to say it on this podcast that he hates his TV? Like, if, we're, if that is, I'm, I'm in, but I just want to know what, what the game is. I, I think maybe there's a, a, there's a broader topic of the difference between being best friends with any collaborator and, uh, and being their boss, right? I think we're really kind of butting up against this, that sometimes as the director, you're the person who has to tell someone to do it the way you want them to do it. And sometimes that really sucks. And I think that we've all worked with people who, like I said, have really high standards and that it's okay to not be like best friends with your DP, but if they don't acquiesce, right. Whether, and that can be unhappily, that's fine. It's good for them to be unhappy. I want them to push back and to be like, let me try and get this to be as great as it can be. But like, if they don't acquiesce, then, then, you know, what if you didn't have the $10,000 to finish the film? Well, I didn't have the $10,000 to finish the film. And yeah, or I, the I, line I, of credit I, or whatever. Like, right. I and I, and I had to put it all on my credit card. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. And so like, I'm right now in debt, um, you know, and, and and because because we had to go over, and I think we're, we'll probably raise that money at some point to to make me my producer actually is in debt too a little bit for the movie, um, but we'll, we'll we'll probably get that money at some point I think. But you know, it was just it was really challenging. Um, but I I come back to like this whole thing like I don't really feel like it was really the cinematographer doing who was all at fault here. I think a large, large part it's me for like not being stronger and making the decisions uh, that I know I needed to make, but like I wasn't experienced enough or confident enough to be like, no, like we do not need this other setup. I know we don't. Um, I'm going to be fine. And when he's like, you know, trying to convince me that we do need it. And then I give it in and we get this extra setup and now I'm in the edit and we don't use it or I don't use it. It's like, I just need to know, I need to have more experience to know that I actually don't need it, you know? Because um, I could just put my foot down more, and I think we would have moved a lot faster if I would just been like, no, we got it, let's move on, you know? We don't need four more takes of this, or whatever. I think, to me, like, I I listened to all the logs that you recorded, and I felt like, in general, you didn't give me enough credit for suggesting that you do it. Uh, but other than that... <laughs> <laughs> I, felt I gave you credit <laughs> just one time in the very oh, first okay one. only once all um, right sorry Oren. <laughs> i kind of feel like there should be like a this log is brought to you by just shoot it um okay, at the beginning of enough. each one would have been nice but um uh i didn't feel like you hated him but i did feel like you 
we we've interviewed and i'm sure you've interviewed people on your podcast and i know liz has a lot to say about this uh directors that have felt like the dps are working on their reel while you're trying to work on your movie and i know we all know this but like great lighting and great camera moves like don't make a great movie you know and so what i think we heard in your logs is that you were prioritizing the cinematography over everything else by letting um, the departments that are in charge of lighting and grip and all that stuff take a lot more time than you were able to give to your actors, to give to your story, give to your scenes, give to the writing, give to like dealing with the police officers in a way that isn't going to like bone you tomorrow. Um, and I think Matt Matt's simplification of that is like that you were frustrated with the DP but never... Um, like, you, you know, you, everyone's working for very little money and they're bringing a lot of stuff to the table. So you don't want to say like, hey, what you, is important to you is not important to me. Um, and I, I think that's just what Matt is saying, right? Yeah, Matt. yeah. I, I have a phrase that I use um, where I say pencils down. And what that means is like, it's like you know, <laughs> when, when you're taking the SATs, like I know you could keep lighting and making this better or or rehearsing or tweaking the art or whatever or you know doing someone's hair but like if we don't shoot the sun's gonna go down and then i don't have my movie Uh, but it's also the role of a good ad i mean i find i mean i've been mainly working with julia swain and now liz yarwood julia's like raring to go constantly but so this is not a complaint against julia these are dps not ad's right yeah, sorry. Like my the DPs I've worked with are always ready and always excited. I, I'm not criticizing my DPs, but I do think the AD should be there to check in with the DP, check in with the director, say, do you really need this? Say to the DP, can we speed it up? Like that's the whole job of the AD. Where was your AD, Ulrich? I mean, he was there. Hilton was there uh, keeping a track of everything. But like, I think he felt um, a little shortchanged because we didn't have the full movie shot listed before uh, we started production. So like, he didn't really feel like he had the tools to create a daily schedule that he needed uh, every day, you know? And so we would get the shot list to him like, you know, some we had weeks in advance and and before the shoot, but then some we had like just the morning of. Not to... I, I want to keep this global because I think that, you know, <laughs> sure. I don't want to be like, we, obviously like we weren't there for any of the production and everyone sounds really wonderful. But I think that in general, I don't shot list every single scene that I shoot for sure. And like, if you can look, if you're shooting four scenes that day and they're all the equal, equal size two before lunch and two after. Right. And, and then you slice right. it up. You know what I mean? But yeah. especially on a feature, if you've like, you're going to shoot for 15 days, let's say, and you've shot for three days already, the entire crew should know this is how we cover a scene. This is how, you know, you're establishing a tone and a style and a language, like a cinematic language, so that by day six, if you don't have the shot list and you had to change locations and you lost one of your actors, the group still kind of understands how we are making this movie. And you should be totally fine. I mean, I've worked on many features. I'm sure you have too, Alric, which is the the other thing that you feel like you are not experienced. I mean, you're insanely experienced in filmmaking. (laughs) So it's like, you you know, you don't need to shortchange yourself like that. Um, But I've worked on so many features where they don't have a shot list and we figure it out because everyone a few days in understands like, hey, we're always covering, you know, doing over the shoulders. We're doing this style. We're doing, you know, unless the director has a very specific 
idea. Like in this one scene, it's it's different. This one takes place in the future, so we're going to shoot it all geometric framing or whatever. Um, and this other stuff is more handheld. Like you have an, to me, that's why I always talk about approaches as opposed to like shots, because you know when the shit right. hits the fan, what's the strategy is more important than what's the shot list. I well, think. we really very rarely did the whole like you know master you know over over you know insert sort of approach. Like most of our scenes have some other kind of like you know shot that gets us into the scene or even carries out most of the scene through a certain shot that has movement involved in it. You know so. I mean, we would generally have like one like movement shot that would be like the vehicle to get us into the scene and then carry out through a lot of the scene. And then at some point then we would cut into coverage for the rest of the scene generally. Uh, and that's how we shot most scenes. But it made things really complicated because there's, there's a, so many moves that we were doing. We were doing like moves at least once a scene, at least. And do Not you think it would have been more worthwhile to cut moves as opposed to cut scenes? Or do you feel like the scenes you cut weren't... You were kind of trimming the fat anyway, and it ended up being... I mean, that was kind of sort of the constant like conversation was like, is there a way that we can do this on sticks that is going to work creatively? And the answer was almost like, no, like, you know, I, I feel like we need like this Dana Dolly move or this Fisher Dolly thing it, or I'll whatever. Refuse. Who is saying no? Well, that's me. That I'm supposed to be saying no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but I'm saying, problem. like, like when, when you're circled up and you're like, uh, you know, can we get this done on sticks? And someone is saying no. It has to be a, a Dana Dolly move. It would be like the cinematographer, right? Yeah, and or, or it wouldn't be like that. It would be more like, oh well, how about this, Ulrich? Like, here's 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 a shot thing, and like we could start here, go to here, just like we talked about in our in our shot planning. You know, like mm-hmm. like what about that? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like, do you think we could do it quickly? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, no problem. I think we can have this ready in about 30, 40 minutes. It's gonna take about the same sticks or or Dana Dolly. At least you just do the Dana Dolly version. Like that's like kind of how that conversation went every time mm-hmm. um and and, it was and just, how many days did you shoot arc uh well originally it was supposed to be 15 and we went to 19 so, how, many, how many times do you think that how many times were you like oh yeah it's probably the same amount of time on dana dolly and sticks like at a certain right. point you know right like to to all to to oren's point but I, I and i think going back to liz your point of like where the ad is and all this i think the thing that that makes me I'm getting like a little like hopped up having this conversation. <laughs> the, the the thing is, is that like, it's, it's always going to be our problem as directors, right? Like if you go over budget, that means that like, you know, maybe you don't have enough money for post or you have to cut the song that you had been saving extra money for or cut edit days or, or, or go out of pocket or something like that. Or you don't have the shot that you need or your scene doesn't get finished. Like, Yes, it's the AD's job to keep things moving, but like, but if they don't do their job and everybody takes too long, you're the one stuck in the edit. Right. And I love right. guilt and shame. I am, I fully embrace guilt and shame on a daily basis for myself. But the AD is going to be noticing 10 days in, well, Ulrich takes a little bit longer to set up this scene, and so does the DP. I'm going to push to adjust that we cut scenes down or push mm-hmm. things into mm-hmm. a separate. I mean, they need to be thinking right. big that picture. And then true. also, I think just to Ulrich's point earlier, um, I did something slightly similar. I just shot this short called Lena, and I'm obsessed with Julie Swain. Nothing's ever a criticism of Julie Swain. 
But when you don't do traditional coverage and you lose one shot due to light or time or an actor, it's like a sweater that unravels and you're like playing catch up to figure out what what's going to be your setup that will solve the problem when you lost that original shot. Does that make sense? Like you have mm-hmm. to. So like you're playing yeah. a weird game of Jenga and sometimes just hearing a confident person, usually the DP saying, yeah, 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 we just do X, Y and Z. And we're good. Like sometimes you just want to like snuggle up in that blanket and be like, yeah, OK, <laughs> yeah. cool. You sound really confident. Well, I, th- I think part of it, yes, like there's just a certain way that this movie, he, you know, the, my cinematographer wanted to shoot this film and he wasn't willing to compromise on that. The vision that we had created together over, you know, two years of planning, you know, and so it's just like he didn't want to let go of uh, mm-hmm. the sort of shared vision we had for it, you know. Right. Um, but and but then... so, so, Ulrich, what if that uncompromising attitude meant that you didn't finish your movie yeah i mean that would be terrible it'd be like a complete disaster and it it, like i was saying it's like kind of only luck that it didn't because you know that we were able to extend the time in our main sets an an extra day you know in in both circumstances Uh, then that's only because we owned one of the locations due to my producer you know and then we got extremely lucky that the whole crew could come back on uh the day before christmas eve to like shoot our last final you know action sequence and you know we got like 80 percent, 90 percent of the crew back and like that's just like pure luck that, that 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 worked out that way um so yeah i don't think i'd ever want to be in that kind of position again where we weren't able to make the movie um that we all agreed we could make. I think that was sort of the big thing that like the producer and the AD or really more my producer was like upset with me about was that like, we all had this plan. We all knew the shot, the movies that we we're trying to make. we all knew the scenes. We knew the page count. We've all decided that we can do this. And now on day one or day two, we're being, we're learning that we can't. And, and then there's no plan that's being executed that makes it so we can. And we're just running into the same problem every day, no matter what. And that's an issue. And that was sort of the review I got from my producer. And it's like, you know, like basically that we, we kind of failed to do what we said we were going to do, but it's just by luck that it ended up working out in the end. Sure. And look, I, there's so much luck that has to be a part of every film, filmmaking, like filmmaking in a lot of ways is like, I'm trying to think of who said it, but like the plan is just like drive from coast to coast and hit every green light. Um, right. and like, you don't plan for all the accidents. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you can't plan for everything. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's it can be seductive, right? Because, like, I think you can, you know, want your movie to look as awesome as possible, you know? Like, I think, I think we've all been there, and I think that this is a, a very understandable and typical story but i think it does bring up the questions that we were all curious about of like oh like what would be the things that you would do differently what would you you know how do you approach that relationship when the stakes are so high and when you know you're kind of all just kind of like you know pushed to the end basically yeah, I have some like thoughts and like strategies. I think 
that I've kind of learned over the years. I mean, I think we've all been in that situation too, Ulrich, and I hope it doesn't feel like we're ganging up on you because I mean, I've on all of my, on every shoot I have, sometimes I'm like, uh, okay, we can move on. And someone's like, I mean, especially when you work with an agency and stuff, they're like, no, let's get them do doing this version, this version, this version. And you're like, Okay, yeah. and you're we like, we'll have to lose half our shots, but sure, let's yeah, do yeah. what you want us to do. So, especially it's like, with an agency, like, yeah, we've like, all right, done it. Well, yeah. But I do think, like, and I've seen there's this really funny meme about like all the important things that like you learn in like film school that you need to focus on, and how all the students only focus on like cinematography from that whole list, you know, story, casting, acting, whatever, all that stuff. So, and I think part of the reason is when you're on set and you have a monitor. Like cinematography is the one thing that you feel like you kind of have like a lot of control over and you can perfect, right? And there are more voices, right? Like typically, like how many people were in your camera department, Ulrich? Uh, Three camera and then, you know, uh, like a four, well, really a six person G&E team. Right. So the majority of your crew is dedicated to cinematography yeah but how often is the second ac giving you notes on camera framing well like, but like shot <laughs> when when the dp is like hey i think we need another one and there's you know eight people standing behind that person like there is kind of like you know right and there's implied... not there aren't eight people standing behind you backing you right up. yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> or art you know if art's like hey sorry guys i need to go again and they've got like two people and one of them's like covered in paint you know <laughs> It's right. like there, there is like a a lot of, and they have all the gear and stuff like that. There's there's a lot of like, uh, what's right. the word? Just weight behind camera. In yeah, and at some point you're like, well, by the time we argue about this, we could have just done this extra take, or we could have just tweaked that light. Um, I think I. Sorry, you're gonna say something, Alric. Well, I'm just going to say like, well, so what do you guys do? Like, like, how do you guys pick your cinematographers and like, and like by what criteria is it like, because you said something really interesting in that text message thread, Matt, you were like, well, everyone can make, there's so many people who can make beautiful images. There's so many talented yeah. cinematographers out in the world. Like, so how do you decide like who you're going to partner with, especially on a big creative personal project, you know, like a feature or a show or mm-hmm. something? Yeah. And I think I'm spoiled because like if you do an, a lot of short-term projects and I've like shot with a lot of different people, like the, the, to me, the, you have to be able to like light efficiently. And like, I need to know that you can predict how long it's going to take you to do something as like a, that's the given. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's like, if you don't have a cool looking reel, then we're not even talking, then you're not even on right. the list. Right. 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 And so then, then it becomes personality or taste, you know what I mean, thereafter. So it's like, of your short list of favorite people, who is the best at the thing you're trying to do? Right. And people have styles, obviously. There's a lot of directors that are like, just let the DP do what they think is best while I'm working with the actors or working on these other things. And I have my total trust in them because we've had enough discussions ahead of time. And there's other people like I personally like kind of the fighting on set <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, and like so the DP I've been working with a lot lately. But, you know, I, I like DPs that are down to get pushed back on and to push me back, you know? Yeah. I mean, because they're you're talking they're about, right a lot of times. You know? You're talking about Yuki, who's your your main guy right now. Or, or yeah. Is that OK to say? Yeah. So I've shot with Yuki as well and definitely disappointed him many times. <laughs> like, none um, yeah. Of but my also shit is on Yuki's reel. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? 
<laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, that's, I think, neither here nor there as much as like the fact that with him, um, like I can be like, yeah, I know that shot sucked, but we got to go. So let's go do like, right. you know, I can't lose this other shot. It's more important than this. Or I'll, I'll, or I'll even say like halfway through a shot, I'll be like, why isn't there, where's the backlight? And he'll be like, well, you told us we had to go. We didn't have time to set it up. I'm like, well, it, okay, doesn't look as good as it can be, but that's like what we have to do and let's go on. And like, we'll have those debates on set, um, you know, without like, without having our feelings hurt. And, you know, I mean, our feelings do get hurt. Like 15 minutes sure. later, he'll be like, yeah, I thought about what you said. And like, we probably should have done another take or I'll say that to him, you know, like, no, you're right. We put a, should have moved that one light. Um, I, I usually say you were right in the edit, you know, <laughs> and he yeah. usually says you were right, like at the end of the day. But, um, but I think as a strategy, Alric, like my, first of all, I'm sure your movie is great and it looks great. And I've seen a lot of your stuff and you're also a DP. So you get it. I have like zero advice to you on cinematography but like <laughs> one um thing that i find works with me and works with like jess and yuki and amanda and all the dps i've worked with is when we are on a time crunch is making my problem <laughs> their problem and i don't mean that in a negative way i mean um like hey you know yuki like i know we wanted to do this dolly push here and i think that that would be really awesome and it would give us this this is why we want to do the dolly move but we have this setup and this setup and this setup coming up, and I'm worried we're not going to have time. Like, if you were me, how would you allocate the day? And what would you prioritize, you know? And start making them feel like they're on the same team as the story. Yeah, yeah. and, like, when you when you talk to them, I for the beginning of my career, I had a real bad tendency to be like, let's get the 35 millimeter, let's put a backlight here, let's do this. This doesn't look, can we add a bounce? You know, and a lot of DPs would be like, can you tell us what you're trying to achieve instead of like telling us what piece of equipment to put somewhere? And it was really hard for me because that's how I thought. I'm like, well, it needs more fill light. So let's put a bounce under the camp, you know. Um, But the more you talk to them about like, hey, what we really want to convey in this scene is that there's, you know, someone might be lurking behind any corner here. And I know we wanted to do this cool Movi Zolly shot or whatever, but we don't have time. So what's... What's another thing we can do that's really fast? You know, is it just about the framing um, or is it something else like and trying to get them to think about the story? Because I do think we all just fall for the allure of pretty pictures on set. And a lot of times it's to the detriment of what we have in post. And it's funny because I think your problem, Alric, is you're like, we're getting too much coverage. My problem is always the opposite where I'm like, I want more types of angles, you know? Well, yeah, it, it was tr- challenging because, like, sometimes it would be too much and then sometimes it wouldn't be enough, you know? And it would be, like, some scenes we would spend a lot of time getting all this coverage and adding shots, which we did a lot. And, you know, the face my AD would give me every time we added a shot, it's, like, ingrained in my brain because we did it so much. Um, but, like, yeah, there's some times where we, we just didn't have the time, so we had to, like, do it in a one or do it with two shots and, like, not get the coverage we originally planned. And then when I'm in the edit, like, I feel the hurt of not having that, you know? Um, so it's sort of both, but I, I don't know. It was just it was just challenging. And, um, you know, I think, like, after the shoot, like, I was like, well, you know, like, maybe if I have a bigger budget, I'll work with, uh, with Jason again. But if I have the same kind of budget, like, I just can't do it because there's just no way that he can deliver a movie fast enough, you know, based off of the experience. And then now after editing the thing together... And, and I'm like over halfway through the movie, I'm like, oh my gosh, like 
it's so beautiful it and it, i yeah. i love all the style and the energy it's like 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 we work pretty well together on set and we only really butted heads like once or twice and we have a really good working relationship because this is like the fourth project that we've done together um so we really know how to talk to each other fast on set i just think it really just comes down to me being stronger and having more uh, confidence as a director and just being like nope we're good let's move on and and knowing that like I have what I need and I that only I can only do that after having done it once I think I, you know I think there's an argument to be made that like it has to look great in order for people to be impressed by it as well I mean the puppy chair or mumblecore kind of notwithstanding but I, you know I think that a thing or that you bring up that I think is really interesting is like that feeling of getting talked over because of technical things you know is certainly something that when I was starting out. I felt um, a lot, you know, like when you're when you're new and you like maybe like don't know your way around, like calling a lens or something like that. Not that it's even your job at all, but like, you know, camera departments in particular, but uh, every crew can kind of like smell fear. And I think there's that I had that feeling of like sometimes wanting to just sometimes you want to answer a question that you don't know the answer to. You know, you get asked something that you're like unsure of. And I, I feel like that always put me in a compromising position, basically, you know, and like you can get, you almost feel a little bullied. Right. Well, I think for, for Jason and I, it's like, we're, we're like really like collaborative in our approach, you know? And so like the shot list and the shots that we came up with are like really like kind of half and half. Like we talked it all through, you know, beforehand. And what, although we didn't have a shot list, we had notes for every scene notes for, for everything basically. And so we had like kind of gone over this, this whole approach to the film beforehand. And then um, when we're on set, it's like, he, he may have an idea. I have an idea. And then we like, you know, kind of come together to like decide like how to approach a shot or maybe deviate mm-hmm. from the shot list or stick with the shot list or whatever. I just think that, um, you know, like what I've, like, cause I worked on this other movie in um, February, like right before the COVID-19 thing happened. So it was like, you know, my second feature, I was a producer on that one. Um, you know, second p- feature as like a department head basically. And uh, you know, getting to see this director who it was his second feature Uh, as a director and like the way that he approached the scene and the way that he would talk to his DP, it was just so different than the way I talked to my DP. And I think it was basically just from experience. And he was just able to be like, you like, you know, if he knew that he didn't need it, he didn't need it. And he would just, it would just be like, no, we're not doing it. We're moving on. Like no matter how much the DP would like push, you know, and like sometimes he would listen to his DP but a lot of times he would just know that, no, I don't need that. Like I'm, I've edited my first feature and I'm editing my second feature. I, I know the coverage I need and I know what's important, what's not important, you know? And I think like, I don't know, I'm just looking forward to doing it again and like having that kind of experience and that confidence to be like, no, like we're good. Like we move on. And I, and I think like with that one little thing being different, like I think the whole experience would have changed because, you know, like, I don't know if we, we probably would have still cut stuff. We probably would have still had to add days, but I think we would have moved um, a lot faster overall, like with me b- being able to know that, no, we got it. Let's move on, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's so tricky too, though, because I, I feel like anytime like a producer recommends a DP to me, they'll be like, oh, I really like this person. They're so fast. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And you're like, well, that's not 
what I need to hear. You know, <laughs> like like speed is really nice. I predictability maybe, or like accountability, or you know their ability to to assess a situation and and be on your team. Those are the things that you know you're always looking for. If you could go back in time, Alric, and like shoot the film in the way that you were thinking like just in terms of how fast it was going and, and stripping down all of the VFX and stuff, I'm sure there are things, I, I'm sure you'll like this movie better, right? Like like having the style, having the energy, having someone who fought for every single frame of it is really important. So it's not that I, you know, I, I want to have like a larger conversation about just the nature of how you communicate with a DP or pick a DP or what that, the, that fragile relationship in general, right. you know? Right. Well, I'm, I'm curious for you guys, like, you know, let's say you got the budget together or you were going to go shoot your, your next feature film tomorrow. Like, how would you select your DP? Like, would do you already know who that person would be just based off of working relationships or would you go seek out like a DP who works in the genre you're working in and try to find the best, most experienced person for the job? Like, what would your approach be uh, if you are making your, your next movie right now? It's a good, really good question. I mean, I think my first instinct would be to go to a DP that I've worked with before you know, it it really depends on the budget. Like I was, you know, up for that shark movie that I was telling you about. It's kind of like a low budget shoots like all in water. Um, And I would probably go to this DP I've been working with a lot because I know he would just be down to like share a hotel room with me and like figure everything out and like yeah throw on a wetsuit and it'd be fine yeah. yeah like something I've been we've been doing a lot is like when we shoot on location like we get there a couple of days early and I like want to go to each location with just him and shoot just with like our iPhones or whatever the scenes and figure him out and I don't know that every DP is just down to like work on their off days on your you know project so I'd right, want someone exactly. that is down for all that stuff. Um, but if it was like a really big budget, if it was, let's say there are a lot of like, I I mean, I don't see that I would shoot this movie. There were a lot of sex scenes with women. You know, I think it would be important to me to try to get one of the main people that is like in working on every scene with me to be someone, you know, that would help that situation. Maybe that would be like a, I would specifically try to find like a female DP for something like that. If it's like car chases, you know, and I I would maybe want to find someone that's done a ton of car chases before because you want them to make up for what you're missing it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so, right. like, if you are, because I know you, Ulrich, you shoot a lot of your own stuff, too, and you're a DP as well. Like, so you're not short on the technical know-how, but, you know, there might be a certain project if you do a movie that takes place in the Ozarks and there's someone there that knows all the best angles of how to shoot that stuff, maybe they would bring more than bring a DP that has like a very overlapping knowledge set to, to what you have, you know? And then on top of that, obviously right. the personality, um, you know, we were just talking to another director that hired this DP, I think from China. And I think there was a little bit of like a language barrier, but she had, he really liked her real. And I was like, I don't know. Like I, to me, com- like being able to just like call them and text them and talk to them all the time about like really specific ideas is very important. And so if I don't, if I'm worried at all about like a communication issue, then I would probably not hire them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I think that like the question of 
like what the size of the feature is is really important, right? Because you have to their their skill set has to match the scale of the thing, right? So, mm. or in your point of was like, hey, like you know, if you're willing to work for free, basically some days to make this awesome, that and and prep isn't paid for, you know, then maybe that's important, or maybe you're a good travel buddy, or maybe you know if you're you have to be used to working with giant crews or smaller crews you know like being a director or this is a studio film and the producers want a dp that shot studio films before because you haven't yeah like basically any of the dps that we have worked with the most um if we got a studio film all of a sudden i don't think any of us would be able to bring one of our favorites along (laughs) right maybe for like a second unit or something yeah yeah maybe yeah i mean Certainly yeah, we you, have you'd be who, forced to yeah, yeah bring in somebody more experienced, right? Yeah, yeah. Unless maybe that person had like leveled up at the same rate, you know. Um, well, here, let, let just for the sake of this question, let's say it's a movie like that's like a one million dollar budget, maybe two million dollar budget, and like you're basically given the freedom to select your DP. Yeah, I mean, then to me, you're right, Orin. It's like, is there some specialty that needs to happen? And then it's like if it's cars or if it's dialogue or if it's comedy or if it's drama, kind of like picking the Swiss army knife, that knife that's the right size for that job is kind of the way to go. Like a million dollar budget. I think most DPs we know, you know, if they've shot a couple features, they're, they're probably ready to go with that. Like a million dollar budget is, is probably not that far off from what you were shooting Ulrich. It's just that you had more right. days basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. You'd have more. You'd, like, I think for us, like, you know, if it was a million dollar budget, like it really wouldn't change all that much, except we'd probably get the right amount of days and, you know, maybe the crew would get paid a little bit more, but it would probably be roughly the same kind of thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> to what we did. Yeah. Because we got so many bodies. deals, you know, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. One to two million dollars. I would definitely go with the dp that i work with the most now and it's not only because he's the only dp i work with that listens to this podcast um, <laughs> but i have had a situation where i went like the lead cast member wanted uh me to work with their dp instead and i felt like they were already giving me letting me do this project they had originated the project and so i went with their dp instead of the dp i wanted to bring on and their dp was great and awesome and really good at certain things but i never quite felt like the project looked like I wanted it to. <laughs> um, mm. And it was because I had picked a DP that just has like a, like a vastly different aesthetic than I like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the colors of lights they use, the framing they use, the composition, all that stuff. Um, even though they were actually easy to work with and they're a great DP and they've done a lot of big projects. I just felt like it never quite looked like what I wanted. <laughs> You know? Right. Well, like for probably like a year before we shot the alternate, one of my producers was trying to get me to try to get an established cinematographer to come on board. Uh, like he wanted me to find somebody who'd shot a bunch of like one million, two million dollar like horror features, like somebody who's like really good in that genre and like approach them to like come on board. And I was kind of always against it just because I was like, well, we don't have any money to pay them. Um, and then I don't know them, so it's going to be hard for me to like 
convey my vision to them, like, you know, given that we're not going to get that much time to prep together because there's no prep budget. And it just seems like a real kind of like wild card. Like when I have this person that I've been working with on this for so long and talking to them about it for so long, and we have this, this uh, working relationship, we've made other projects together. It just seems like they're the right person to make this movie. And it doesn't seem like, like a reasonable or worth it type of thing to try to find someone with more experience. Like it just didn't seem right to me, like, like the right move, you know? Um, but I don't know. Like, do you think you would do that? Like if like you had your movie that you're trying to make and like, Oh yeah, I really want the best DP to like, like, you, no, you'd go with the person that you've worked with before. Right. That, of course. Yeah. But I mean, that said, like, I guess the DPs that we've worked with, like they've all, used condors they've all like shot from helicopters they've all lit giant stadium not giant stadium but like a giant like indoor stadium scenes you know they can use like big space they've all worked with like a thousand extra like so i think there's a certain level where like you know maybe that's not their average shoot but they've done some very big things process trailers they've done you know they've done uh like underground like underwater stuff so Like, I think there's a certain minimum of level of experience of a DP that we're working with right now. And again, they're not shooting $100 million features, but they might have shot like a 5 to $10 million feature already. So it's not really a concern. When I first started out, yeah, I worked with DPs that like lit with all China balls from Ikea, you know? And it's like, can you, are you even going to think like, let's get the giant helium balloon and the condor crane and the process trailer? Or are you going to think small um, you know, let's just put a bounce up there and like an eight by grit. Like you want them, you want the DP to be fighting for their department as hard as you're fighting for the film. Um, and you want them to think really big. Like if you give them a thousand dollars, you want their equipment list to be $10,000, you know, so that they're pushing the quality up as like the producers are pushing it down. Um, but that said, I think all the DPs we work with regularly are comfortable with, big equipment with big crews and lots of devices and lots of cameras. So, yeah, I uh, mean, honestly, like in describing that or in the thing that I immediately start thinking of is like, I want the DP who does all of that stuff. But like also when it's time to like pull out the China balls and like make it look, can make that look awesome as well. Right. Exactly. Like being willing to use like the simple um, tricks like, even though, you know, you have other tools, but, like, maybe we don't have time. So, like, maybe it is, like, a bounce board next to a window, mm-hmm. you know, for this one scene or this one shot or whatever, you know? Yeah. That's kind of what I think I wanted more of was, like, kind of that sort of approach. And, I mean, sometimes we got it that way, but I think it was it, everything always seems so complicated. But then you look at the movie and it's, like, great. And, and the feedback that I got from my DP a lot was that I wrote a complicated movie. And... <laughs> And it's, it's not true. untrue. Yeah. yeah, which is it's, true. It is, yeah. it is true. I yeah. have, you know, like characters who have to play off, actors who have to play off their themselves in scenes. And I've got a portal. I've got, you know, all this stuff going on, multiple versions of the same sets. And it's, it's complicated. It's not yeah. an easy thing, you know. To me, the takeaway is that the relationship between a director and a key crew member, and, you know, we're obviously specific, mostly talking about DPs, is is an antagonistic one in a way. And what are the different strategies of like deciding who is make is calling the shots on set, you know, and like what, what are the priorities? And it's like, there is no answer. I mean, there are a lot of DPs 
that have saved movies because the director had no idea what they're doing. You know, I've been on sets right. where like the director's like, uh, I don't know, I guess just like stand over there and say something. And the DP's like, don't you think it would be more powerful if she like walked over here, went up, came up the stairs, you know, and said that? And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, sure that. You know, like I've seen both versions. I've seen DPs that are ruining movies because they are worried about a tiny reflection in someone's glasses, you know? And now we lost an hour trying to fix it because they moved 14 right, lights. Right. Like, so I think it's just like a, a gamut of, you know, of uh, how people work with DPs. And I, I think this episode actually is kind of interesting. And I think that the title of the episode would be something along the lines of like, how do you choose a DP? Are you guys still right. talking? No. Yes. Oh yeah, of course. This is amazing. Do you know what I've Liz, done? Liz, calling asleep <laughs> already. We're so lonely. <laughs> is the pandemic over? I just want to say, I went and I like, you know, comforted my son. Then I took the dog out for a walk. I took out the trash. I checked the mail. I listened to a podcast all of the time since. Wait, I which podcast? Oh, yeah, which podcast, Liz? Hard. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, to oh, our podcast. The twenty-minute yeah. episode they put out. I was listening to the oh. juicy episode. I hadn't heard it yet. Oh, nice, <laughs> Liz. <laughs> time time is a flat circle. We've only been recording for 53 minutes. Oh my God. Um, um, we're also going to cut out basically all of the time that you weren't on the podcast. No, I really, really, yeah. Okay. Um, um, sorry, well, I interrupted well, your nomenclature discussion. Oh, well, I was just saying, I think if this episode is kind of like thematically about choosing a DP, maybe um, we could to just spend like a few more minutes talking about like other things you think about when you're like hiring a DP or... Well, well, my question to you guys is like, what do you think about the DP director relationship? Like, do you think it's really important that you find your cinematographer and that you, you know, your career and their career like are parallel and that you like make f- projects together and like that's your person that you go to time and time again? Or do you think it's more healthy as a director to just work with a variety of cinematographers on different projects to like kind of grow and change and develop as an artist? I, let me let me take this one, Oren, because this one. I've been thinking well, about, this is the answer. <laughs> I've been thinking about this one a lot. I'm just kidding. Go for it, man. I've been th- thinking about this one a lot. So uh, I've hinted at this in the podcast a little bit. but um, So I have worked with – I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of different TPs, but like a handful of like main collaborators over the last few years. You know, like there's kind of the short list of like three or four people and then um, – and then another group of like people who are maybe a little more specific of like, Oh, when I want to do something that's a little more reality, I call that person or, you know, this is a person who's a great travel buddy or this person's really high style or whatever. But like, there's always a few that are kind of the first phone calls. And, uh, you know, this year or really like late last year, there were a lot of instances where they were just booked on stuff. They were booked on, on big fancy things that like, Um, or they weren't, they, they could, they had to drop out a couple times. And for a while I took it really personally and that like, it took me a while to process it. But look, the, the thing that happens is that as we all get bigger and better and busier, they're just not going to be available. That's the truth. Right. And so like Roger Deakins doesn't shoot every Coen brothers movie anymore. You know what I mean? That's it. Like, right. it's, it's just like, even when you are like 
arguably amongst the best in the world schedules get gnarly and so like it's really fun to romanticize the idea of you know working with your favorite dp for your whole career and it being a defining partnership or whatever but um that just doesn't especially with the amount of tv that's getting shot now and you know people taking big jobs and movies lasting for a lot longer a lot shorter people are cranking through jobs just just at a different rate and so they're not going to be available and like you can't take it personally and i made the mistake of taking it personally for a long time and uh don't do that that's dumb they're everyone's just trying to make a living so but i guess the the the, the thing you didn't really answer about it is like do, do you want that still like do you want to have like the same person that you work with a lot or are you now like being forced to work with other dps because the people that you called weren't available like are you excited by that and like well, now oh i want to work with this person and that person and this person i mean yes and also like you still miss your pals you know like on every set like liz when you know julia is not available for something there'll be a moment where you're like Julia would have done it different. <laughs> well, yeah, they're your world DP famous for life. Julia Swain. Yeah, exactly. She's yeah. irreplaceable. <laughs> they're your DP for life until they're not. Is how I feel. Like I had an AD for life <laughs> based off of one experience I had with Leslie Marchand on Bread and Butter. I fell in love with Leslie, but she was unavailable for everything else. Plus, I think she probably hated the budget and maybe didn't want to make that kind of sacrifice. So I found a new AD for life. I haven't postscript. I haven't found a new AD for life, but I just want to say that like you have that partnership (laughs) until they either reject you or you reject them. And then you find a new partnership. It's romantic until it isn't. I think that the relationship between a director and a a DP, a production designer, um, you know, maybe a costume designer, makeup, like any department head is a weird, totally uh, not symmetrical relationship pretty much every good dp i worked with like my entire career has like far surpassed me career-wise you know the guy that shot my first movie times as fast as you yeah he shot mr selfridge for bbc the dp that shot my next movie just shot mcmillions for hbo you know i've worked with like the first dp that i worked with at disney the whole time shoots like every seth rogan movie you know like, and I worked with, like, Rachel Morrison and Reed Morano, not as a director, but next to them. And now, you know, they're, like, the top DPs in the field, like, Oscar-nominated and Emmy award-winning. So there's no there's no version of the world where, like, they are going to <laughs> wait for me, you know, to catch up to them. So I think, uh, like, exactly what Liz said sounds right to me. Um, but to me, like, I just crave collaborators. Like I would love to be part of a directing duo, (laughs) you know, like I just want somebody (laughs) else to be next to me, pushing me, especially when I have a family and a kid and like more, all these things that I'm worried about, like making money and taking care of them and being with them and like being distracted by them. Like all I want is someone that is I'm working with. That's like, Hey, here's an idea. Is this inspiring? Like that we're inspiring each other and working forward on things you know, uh, a DP is like a very obvious kind of DP director is a very obvious like collaboration group. So that's why I like working with the same DPs because we can get excited. Like when I am pitching on a commercial way before I don't get it, I will tell my DP about it and we'll already start coming up with ideas. And like, that's to me, one of the favorite, my favorite parts of being a filmmaker is having those conversations with other people of like, how, how will we shoot this? How will we cast this? How will we do this? But it could be with a production designer. It could be with an actor. You know, there's some 
directors that like love working with the same actors over and over and over um, because they are their partners and collaborators and inspiration. So I know that's not really an answer, but for me, yes, of course, I would love to have like my three favorite DPs and like do one third of all my projects with each one of them. But at the end of the day, it's like they might get a project that, you know, takes them to the next level that I'm not at yet or vice versa. So, yeah, I think just, you know, be nice to everyone. And also I have like transition DPs and um, like kind of talk to the DP. I still try to talk to the DPs that I've shot with in the past to make sure they know <laughs> that I still like them and would still love to work with them again. And the other week, <laughs> like I had a shoot kind of a last minute shoot and my DP that I usually work with wasn't available. And so I reached out to kind of a few other DPs I worked with because, um, because it is personal when like you hire the same DP for five shoots and then you get a new shoot and you hire a different DP, obviously someone's feelings are going to get hurt, you know? Um, and we as directors have all the power in hiring the DPs. They have like no real power in getting us to hire them (laughs) unless they're, you know, using ultimatums or threatening to give us free equipment rentals. Well, I don't know. I just don't think there's anything wrong with working with a variety of cinematographers. Like, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I want to go back to the same people and work with the people that I've had good experiences with, but I don't know. I, I just don't, I wish people's feelings didn't get hurt over that stuff. Cause you know, I, I've made shorts with different cinematographers and you know, not everything I've done was with my main cinematographer, Jason, who did the alternate, you know, and I think that's totally fine. Right. But what and, if the alternate gets into Sundance, wins no awards other than best cinematography, you get to make a $10 million movie and you never hire Jason again. Like, is well, that, that would not be, a dick move? I mean, that's a dick move, but I mean, I don't think that, if I got a $10 million movie off of the alternate, like, of course my instinct would to be like, yes, I want to bring Jason and work with him again on this. Now that we have more time, more budget, more days, like it's just going to be a better experience, you know, you know, than, and not to say that it was a bad experience. It was just challenging, but I think it was challenging. Sorry, let's change it to $1 million just to make this a better question. Okay. 1 million. Well then, yeah. But uh, anyways, I, but I, I don't, in the $10 million version, like, I don't know if they would even let me bring him. They probably would, I guess, if like the, if he won best cinematographer at Sundance, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean they that, gave a best cinematography yes, award, Liz? Probably not. Liz is probably, probably listening not. to another podcast. Right now, so. <laughs> they, I think you can like make up your own awards at Sundance. Oh, a jury prize. Yeah. They like just, special jury prize. Yeah, they, exactly. Um, Okay. Anyways, I just think that it's it's totally fine to work with other people, and you know, I don't know. Like, I definitely want to work with Jason again, and I, I'm there's no, yeah. I mean, I I felt really bad for how it came off in the locks because I make it sound like hell, and we had fun making that movie, you know. Um, and despite the how wiped I was at the end of the day, I did have fun doing it, and I was smiley on set a lot, you know. So I don't know. I mean, I just think that. Yeah, but it, but it was hard, obviously. <laughs> so, I mean, there is definitely truth to all the... It's not like I... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. How's the cut coming along? It's great. <laughs> I love it, man. I'm really... It's terrible. I feel really like a narcissist or something to be like, I love my movie. Like, it's so great, you know? But that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> Maybe Liz, I won't you feel love, like that when it's over. But... Do you love your movies while you're editing them? 
Um, I'm just proud that I survived. I think, I, I don't know, I'm at the stage of being incredibly critical of everything I've ever done right now. So I, I was just listening to the other podcast, right, on my walk. And Ulrich, you just had asked, like, what are you, you know, are you proud of the movie? And I said, yes, I'm proud of it. I'm so proud of it. Like, you know, and it got really effusive. And now I'm just thinking to myself, <laughs> like, oh, I could see so many things wrong with Speed of Life. Like, that's the stage I'm at right now is like flaws. Right. But a, a completed movie, everyone hates, especially the first cut you see. But I, I wonder while you're editing it, like while I'm, I'm thinking of the things I've worked on and edited. Yeah, you kind of love the scene because the scene works and then you're like, oh, wait, but all of them together don't really make any sense. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't watched the movie. I only watched the first 20 minutes in a row. That's the most I've seen. Everything else I've kind of it's just been sections of scenes. And it's like, oh, this section is looking just like how I wanted it to look or close enough to how I imagined it. Like it's there. Like the the pieces are there. Like this is this is going to work, you know, Um but yeah, I guess I mean, I'm probably I I did I do feel different about it day to day. Like some days I'm depressed about it, you know. But right now I'm like loving it, you know. Right. I think I I always respond to uh, jokes that I wrote because they're exactly my <laughs> sense of humor, and so that like objectively good or objectively bad doesn't really it's it's a purely subjective of like oh yeah I I think that's funny, and also there's no there's not as much technical uh, artifice to it. Do you know what I mean? Like the shot could look bad and the sound could be so-so. And as long as the performance and the actual content of the joke land, you could still be like, oh, I like that. You know? Yeah. So I feel like, and also like, I'm mostly talking about Squaresville, which was, you know, shot eight years ago now. So like I have enough distance to be like, yeah, I was shot on a 5D. I was 12. It's not a big deal. Right. Yeah, I think, like, to me, whenever I do a one-er or try to do a scene in a one-er, in the edit, I'm like, ah, oh, this is so boring. And I, like, try to cut it out or, like, reframe or figure out things. What else can I shoot? Stock footage. And then, like, I'll watch it in the course of the movie, and I'll, and I'll be like, oh, actually, no, as a one-er, it does work. <laughs> you know? But it's it's weird how you criticize a scene while you're working on it versus a movie. Um, but... Yeah. Anyhow, Liz, when when you yeah. screen a movie though, and it gets a reaction, I feel like that's when I've seen you love your movies the most. Actually, yeah, you said something that reminded me. It's like if it's for me, it is about the laughs or tears. So like, if someone comes up to me and they say they cry, like I feel fantastic. And if and if people are really laughing at a joke, not just like fake laughing, like ha, but like actual laughing at a joke, then I feel at my most proud. Like. It isn't about the way it looks or the way it sounds, but if they're laughing, just like just like with you, Matt, then I feel like it's a success. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course, seeing an audience react to your movie is a different type of thing than how you feel about your own movie while you're editing it. But like, well, but that's I have, another way of saying... I have like Sorry, laughs that like... Like there's this one moment we went to Cleveland. Matt, wait, you weren't there. You weren't... I, I wasn't there. there. Um, no. Well, Christine and I went to Cleveland and we were in an overflow room and there was like a VIP screening of the film and then there was like 
the overflow room and I went to the overflow room and people were like, re like, like they had drank too much laughing. Like they were really laughing. And like, I think that I want that on my tombstone. Like if you could have a moment on your tombstone, it's me <laughs> in the back of this theater, almost vomiting because I had food poisoning, but hearing everyone laugh at Bobby Moynihan, like, uh, sorry, I'm now, I tend to always get philosophical in these uh, group chats, uh, but funny. like that, that, yeah, those are moments of pride. Well, the, the, it's empiric evidence that like people like it in that moment. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, yeah, yeah. there's it's no proof. question. It's proof. Yeah, it's like oh, like the thing I wanted them to find funny, they all found funny. And so, like, there are there are going to be things that are going to annoy you about it or whatever. But like, you can jump the line and, and it can be out of focus. You know, it can be quote unquote bad filmmaking, and like an audience is laughing at it. So there's nothing more you can say. Here's a question I have for all of you. Um, in the edit, if you have one take that's technically perfect and it's beautifully done, like on a technical side, and then you have another take that's like not technically perfect, it's got a couple issues technically, but the performance is better, and then the worst technical version, which one do you go with? How how different is the performance? Like, is it clearly way better in one, or is it like you think it might be a a little better. Uh, I would say like the performance in the technical version is good, like it's passable, but like there was something that made you smile or a glint in your eye when you watched the other performance in the technically bad version. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. any filmmaker would yeah. say use the better performance. I would I think if they're close performance-wise, I would like bring my wife into the room and be like, "Hey, can you watch these two? Do you have a preference?" <laughs> it's also like w is it is it distracting to a, a regular right. viewer? Is the other right. question. You know, like if it's like, so, I mean, if you watch older movies in particular, like there's all sorts of crazy, crazy, like camera bumps yeah. and stuff Oh yeah, that no one's ever like, oh boy, Casablanca was pretty good. But did you see that dolly move? Yeah. The color right. is so bad. Well, it's all about how important the scene is too, right? Like if that's a pivotal scene, then you go with the better performance. But if it's just kind of like a filler scene, first of all, it shouldn't be in your movie, but other but other than that, like I would go with the technical. <laughs> I would go with the least distracting take if it's a scene that doesn't matter as much. Um, and it's not a right. deal breaker. Because you also yeah. are, yeah, it is, you're going to be judged based off of what you throw out into the world and people are going to see the polish. They want to see the polish. Yeah. Yeah. I always fight for the best performances, but like if if it's something that I can't live with technically in there, then I have to go with a more technical, better better version. Or I try to, you know, cut two takes together or use coverage to get to the moment that makes me so happy in the technically bad take, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's 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 there's definitely times in the edit so far where I've gone either way, you know, depending on the moment, you know. Right. Because I'm a VFX guy, I will like do any crazy thing I can to try to save like a performance <laughs> that I like better. Right. There's a grip in there. There's a C stand. There's a light. There's a bump. It's out of focus. Right. Can I defocus the rest of the shot and sharpen this a little? Can I? I've literally in my first feature, I took the face of one of the kids from one performance and put it on a, the a different take oh my because. God. Well, because he was looking in the, wow. and the he was looking into the lens in the second take. I mean, right. he's not an actor; he's just a kid. Um, but uh, you know, I will kind of try to go nuts to try to get, but the best of both worlds, if possible. 
I remember I was talking to, um, I think it was Katie Walker, um, if you guys know Katie Walker, the DP, and she, you know, like her first AC was trying to say something like, could we have another? I was soft. And then she said very loudly, it doesn't matter. They're going to use it anyway. They always use the one that looks the worst. <laughs> like It was like, <laughs> like a foregone so conclusion funny. that we always pick the worst take wow. for her. That's funny. That's right. Um, well, before we should probably wrap up soon, but I just, if you guys are cool with this being kind of like a DP centric episode, I just wanted to ask one last question for the group, which is like, uh, you know, in, in just in a few words, what are the things that are important for you when you look at a DP's reel? Liz, you want to go first? I mean, I don't know how to look at a reel. Um, I don't, it's like, <laughs> they're always filled with like sunset beach shots with lens flares and I really, I'm bored. Um, for me, it's, it is about sitting in the room, making sure that they don't have a chip on their shoulder, making sure they get the whole low budget thing and that we connect and that they have good references by people who know way more than I do. Like Matt recommended Julia Swain to me and I trust Matt. So like for me, that went a really long way in terms of like her skills. Uh, yeah, I mean, what Liz said, basically, I, honestly, if there's like a reel with a bunch of sunsets and stuff, like stuff that like you can get with your iPhone, then it's probably not, they probably don't have enough experience yet. Um, but yeah, references and, and is probably the main thing for me. Like looking at a reel is probably the least important thing to me. Uh, you know, this is like probably something I heard, uh, someone advised me to do at some point, but I do do this now is like night interiors, like making sure that the night interior scenes in a reel look really great. And then, uh, that, yeah, that it's not all sunsets and, and golden hour moments because anyone can make those look good. It like, it should be stuff that you could tell like lighting and technical skill went into doing this. And then also just their eye, you know, like, like I am a pretty big sucker for like a daytime interior, like really beautifully lit, like close-up shot <laughs> so if there are those kinds of things in there i'll probably be at risk like reacting really positively to that to that reel but i think looking at night interiors is probably pretty important because those are more challenging to light i think i mean i i could be wrong about this but i do think i'm the one that was probably i talk about night interiors on reels i think it's probably pro- um, i think it probably is you from me listening to just shoot it almost certainly yes um finally i get some <laughs> so credit. thank you Oren. Um, thank you <laughs> but i will probably kind of mostly disagree with like liz and matt obviously that's a personal subjective question it's hard to disagree with people but i'm trying to uh i'm fishing for an answer that is actually helpful for a dp um, and saying that the real doesn't really matter is is to me not true. Um, I think like for the DP, the it's one of the only positions where the real is actually um, very important. And a lot of times, as a director, you are sent links to a bunch of different reels of people. Um, and so, but to add on to what Liz and Matt said, like yes, the like magic hour flare shots are not. Uh, anything that belongs in a reel unless there's a very famous person in it it's from a commercial or something (laughs) that you've seen before or there's like a camera move that's like very impressive because yeah we all since the advent of like the dslr everyone has gotten amazing magic hour you know backlit sunlit shots and stuff so um i think for me personally i want to see uh scope you know which 
mainly means like wide shots with lots of people in them. I want to see faces, you know, like close-ups that Arik said. I want to see interiors, especially night interiors, uh, but also daytime interiors are, they're just a much more uh, technically challenging thing to shoot than a daytime exterior, usually, unless it's like process trailer or something where um, you have very little control over the sun and need to control it somehow. Uh, and then like camera movement, obviously, like car rigs, like drones, wide things. And then on top of that, that's like kind of all the technical stuff. I also think um, just like storytelling, it, it's hard to show in a DP's reel. But like if you can show me three shots that play in a sequence that are telling like a little story, that's really nice if I can see like tones. Um, and I also I know a lot of DPs like try to keep like the same aspect ratio, we'll do their whole reel in like a two, three, nine, like anamorphic widescreen i like hate that because it makes me feel like uh you put that on all the footage that you're showing me and that you're not actually showing Uh, me what you shot um so you like to see aspect ratios jump uh yeah it's not that i enjoy watching aspect ratios (laughs) jump right no no but yeah i it makes me feel like you've shot a variety of different things because like anything for tv is pretty much going to be like especially on the commercial side 16 by 9 uh, anything for social is going to be like square or vertical or have some aspect of that at the very least 16 by nine. And then the super widescreen stuff is, yeah, more like narrative stuff, cinematic things, maybe like a high fashion commercial or an alcohol product or something. So um, the more variety I see from you, the kind of the better. And then obviously don't show stuff that like hasn't been color corrected or that has really bad sound. And uh, yeah, and there's probably someone should put out a list of like, cliche music tracks to avoid also because a lot of reels i see have like the exact same songs on them which is yeah i annoying. mean that's a good reason like you're not <laughs> judging a dp on their music taste though you no know? you're not but like you're judging them on their taste um, most of the time i'll put a, a reel on mute because i don't know that i've ever heard a song that i was like oh good call um ever <laughs> really i, I feel like i always think that especially <laughs> no, those no. afi hipster dps that are like oh yeah, wow no, just like, never heard mute. of this band yeah, put it on mute. Um, I Taylor think Swift? the the flip side is just like I'd ask for samples. You know, I'd rather see oh, a, yeah. like a spot that they shot or like, uh, you know, the trailer for a feature they shot or something like that. I would much rather look at that stuff than, than a reel. Yeah, I like watching short films of, uh, you know, whatever the position is, like if it's a production designer or a DP or whatever. Like watching a short tells you a lot. I just want to know how many Instagram followers they have. But the reel is the first step. It's not like what is getting you the job. It's what's getting you the audition. It's like the headshot of the DP, I think. Right, right. When you're scanning through 20 DPs, you're not going to go watch, you know, five shorts from each one of them. Right. But to Liz's point, I think like the recommendation is important, you know? Yeah. Like I'm saying like, hey, I'm looking for somebody who can do X, Y, and Z. I don't want to look at 20 reels. I want to look at two or three if that's that's if you're connected in hollywood like matt is okay <laughs> if you're a young lady from nebraska that's just getting her start maybe look at some reels any other thoughts on cinematographers i mean i'm sure we could talk about this forever but any last important things you guys want to add in here i mean i've learned during this quarantine that they're totally superfluous and people should just shoot their own things <laughs> yeah portrait mode is amazing <laughs> God, it's gorgeous yeah, when is 
they're going to be a video version of that. Well, I just want to say, Jason, I love you, and uh, I really enjoyed working with you on the alternate despite uh, those audio logs. Just put it that way. <laughs> Final words I want to say about that. And we could cut this if you guys want to. No, no, I think free. it's great. But we all know Jason doesn't listen to the podcast. Yeah, well, he was on my podcast, um, but I don't know if he listens to the podcast. I know my production designer does, and he, he texted me before the last log came out, came out, like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to hear the last log. And oh then I haven't heard from no him way. since. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe I offended him mortally by that in that one. But uh, I don't know. Whatever. It's, I'm just being honest. I mean, I feel like honesty is good. We need to be honest in, in our lives, right? Mm, I think it's overrated. No? You think I'm yeah, I think there's a difference between honest. Do you guys think I was too honest in the logs, or do you think I was just the right amount of honest? No, no, I think you were totally that. In that situation, I think it's good to be honest, and it's good to be frustrated, and I think that everyone takes the whole thing with a grain of salt, you know, um, because you're literally like in your car driving home at two a.m. or whatever, <laughs> right, you know. So right. like, no one's ever like, boy, that's really exactly how Alric feels you know outside of the moment that's you know but i think that there is something different about having a discussion on a podcast you know where you can right. be a little more measured and a little more yeah and it is a very one-sided opinion obviously i think what would be cool is if you guys did an episode where you have your ad your production designer and your cinematographer on maybe one at a time and for each one to each one talk <laughs> to for 10 minutes about like what they think you could have done better as a director. And then you guys can kind of have Oh, it. gosh. Because you're oh, only, man. you know, it's just, I think if I was like <laughs> work, one of your crew people, I'd be like, well, that's, he's saying it took me forever, but like, I didn't, I asked for keys to the location. And I couldn't get in until the night before. And I was up all night and I lost the right. crew member. Like, you know, they'd have their version of why they actually went above and beyond. Um, despite well they, but like. they did all go above and beyond. And I, and I think I said that, you know, it was like, they really did pull out a lot to make this thing happen um it's just it's just challenging thing that we were doing it's very hard <laughs> to make a movie yeah and i, I mean I, I don't know i like talking about this stuff because i think this is something that i'm trying to figure out for myself like how i want to work with cinematographers and like what kind of cinematographers i want to work with going forward and if i only want to work with one person if i can for the rest of my career like i still just debating all these things um but it's it's interesting to hear from you guys about your opinions on it all you know yeah well thanks for um letting us poke uh holes in all your arguments and um i hope <laughs> yeah. we weren't being too uh snobby i don't know what opinionated no. opinionated yeah. yeah no i think it's great i think it's it's important to have opinions and to hear different takes on all this stuff i think it helps us figure this stuff out together i guess I don't yeah know. i guess I, I get like so worked up about it because i feel like defensive for people and then i'm projecting like bad experiences i've had and to, you know just uh all about my psychological bullshit i guess yeah. Well, I guess the, the last thing I know that we we said this is over, but like, do you think it's the DP's job to make the day or do you think that's the AD's job and the DP's job is to make it look as best as possible? I, this is maybe a fucked up thing to say, but I think it's all the director's problem. I think it's all the director's yeah. job. It's just and, it's our jobs to, yeah. to make sure that we make our day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. right. OK, fair enough. Yeah. And so when I hear I think the director's job is to make those hard decisions. It's not that you 
ever want a DP to not make it look as good as they can. That's why I'm so colorful with pencils down. I'm trying to make it cheeky. But, like, another way of saying it is, like, fucking stop. Like, we got to go. <laughs> fucking you know? stop. <laughs> I still think that's right? your AD. I still think my producers and my AD are my boss. Like, and I want to defer to them and I want to trust them. And they should be telling us when we have to move on. They That shouldn't be but, me because I'm supposed to have a sacred relationship with my DP. I'm not supposed to quibble with them. And I like the tension between the AD and the DP. I think it's really fun to see them at war with each other. I like not being a part of that. Like, that's not my but, job, I feel. But Liz, what, like, if you don't make your days and you don't get the coverage you want or need... Because an AD, well, I've never didn't. not made a day. But let's, I, I don't. Oh, I've never not made a day. Won, oh, fancy. Well, no, but it's just because I get real cheap, and I. It's not like I don't have a great product at the end of the day. I just get everything I need. Doesn't mean it's as great as possible. I, I, you're right. I, I do make the concessions, and I prioritize the shots. The AD will go to me and say, "What do you need? What do you have to have?" And Julie and I will decide that. But I like the tension between AD and DP. I want, I do want them to battle it out in the Thunderdome. Yeah, I find a lot of ADs will come to you and they'll be like, "Do you really care about like moving this backlight right now? Because it means we're gonna have to like cut something before lunch, or we won't get to the scene till after lunch." Um, so I, I think I do feel like the director ultimately is making the creative decision of, you know with the schedule. Um, I've never been like, at least on every job I'm on, people are like, we just can't go over. We have to stop. You know, there's no, mo- no budget right. for overtime. So like, it's not like up to the AD. We're not going to blame the AD and let you keep going. We're going to just stop shooting. Whether it doesn't matter who's getting the blame, you know, um, or whose responsibility it is. But yeah, which is ultimately my point. It's like the, everyone else on the crew raps and then you go sit down with an editor and live with those decisions. And so I guess I'm saying that I want to be conscious of getting, deciding where I want to concede and what I want to fight for, basically. And I think right. that an AD can mediate that, right? Like I think, Liz, your point is just like you don't want to be yelling at a bunch of people but like you are making that decision and it's then just getting you're just having the ad do all of the yelling which is probably the smart thing to do (laughs) right but it's also it's like i think what is the job of the dp is to communicate how long they think something will take like a lot of times i'll see a shot and i'll be like oh that's so cool what if we just did a little push in and they're like, oh, like this. And they do a little push in. And then we see a piece of equipment. And I'm like, ah, oh, never mind. And they're like, don't worry, we can move that. And then you just lost 15 minutes because they're moving it because you asked, wouldn't it be cool if we did a little push in? You know? So it's like, I think that's where I put it on the DP. Like, hey, like, I didn't say I want to spend 20 minutes for this thing that will make this shot 2% better, you know? And so uh, I do think it's like their job to communicate to you, like, oh, yeah, we can do it. We'll have to move this. And then you'd be like, nah, never mind. Let's not do it, you know? Like, um, and when they say, and I do think, Ulrich, sometimes you were like, yeah, you know, they said it would take like 10 minutes and it ended up taking like an hour. That I I (laughs) would blame the DP for. Or or have them at least come up with a plan to undo that and fix it, you know? Like, to make up the day in some way. 
Right. And we did. We did. We did definitely do that kind of stuff. Like we lost time and got it back, you know. Um, but yeah, it was just, um, it, yeah, I don't know. It was, you guys heard it. It was a challenge. <laughs> yeah, they're all challenges. Except for Liz's movies. They're all just so easy and fun and everyone loves Liz, you literally <laughs> always made your day? Um, I'm like trying you, to think. You never cut a shot or. No, no, I always cut things, but I never go over. I've only went over once. I'm sorry. But is that not the in, in definition of making the day? <laughs> like, I guess. No, ma- ma- me... Yeah, making the day means that you didn't cut anything. You got everything that you oh, set out to get that I day. I never make the day. But... <laughs> well, okay. I guess that you can define it as getting everything you want or getting everything you need. Yeah, because. <laughs> it you... sounds like. <laughs> right. I had a shot right. list. I, the yeah, out, there's yeah. always wish list pieces yeah. for sure, but you've always gotten everything you needed. Yeah, I mean, I never made something perfect though. So, I mean, like, have you have you know. ever gone? Have you ever punted a shot though? What does that mean? You've had to come. You've had to like be like, okay, well, we'll come back to that tomorrow. Oh yeah, we've. I've done that. I've done that, and then, but I, and then by the end of the shoot, we've gotten all the coverage we need. Yeah. So you make it up later. Yeah. 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 Uh, on the movie that I just was the AD producer on, like we only went over for 45 minutes of overtime in the whole movie. And we only kept three scenes through the whole movie or maybe four. So like, I don't know. I felt really depressed <laughs> looking back at what the alternate was after doing this movie. I mean like, Oh, wh- why did, why did we do so well on this other movie? And the alternate was so challenging. It's like we equally had challenging things to do. It was just a different type of movie. But I think I'm over that, and I figured that out. But that's that's a conversation yeah. for another episode. I will say one of the challenges <laughs> in the alternate is like so much of it takes place in uh, like one or two locations, so it kind of demands that you cover it and shoot it in interesting ways. You know, like how can we yeah. shoot a similar scene in a different way, and it right. ends up probably eating time. And I don't know that, what your other was, location was, but it seemed like yeah. out in nature and just something where. It, yeah, easier to accomplish those things. Without. There's also no bottlenecking, you know? Like, if you're if the entire crew needs to go through one hallway, you know, to change a set over or to light things or whatever, like, handing things off is always really tricky. Whereas if you're outdoors, like, there's room to spread out. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of all of those things, basically. And then also, like, you know, having two sets that are uh, different versions of the same set and, like, scheduling around that was challenging too yeah 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 well can't wait to see it yeah can't wait to show it with you guys it's it's, uh it's uh man i can't wait sundance 2021 baby yeah Yeah. we'll see liz liz will slide it in there no prob no prob i got a few other shorts my cousin made liz i'm gonna send you (laughs) (laughs) um okay well thanks for chatting yeah thank you yeah it's fun to get awesome digging deep with you guys yeah, totally. This is like our third crossover. This is uh, this is a fun that we get to do these episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all we need is a pandemic, and then we're all just uh, sitting around. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that was our conversation with Alric and Liz. Uh, you got to check out their podcast, Making Movies Is Hard. It was always a fun podcast, but they've really upped their game recently with all sorts of fun segments and production value. And Matt and I are jealous. So this podcast is also going to do that soon. Uh, Maybe. So check them out, and uh, thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Matt Enlow. Hey, hey, shout out to me. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams, and the music you're listening to right now is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.